We're in Romans 15 this morning, so I'd invite you to open up your Bible and turn there. If you don't have a Bible, didn't bring one, forgot it, don't own one, uh, there should be a Bible right in front of you uh, in the seat behind you. If you're new with us or um, have some reason to communicate with the staff, love to have you fill out a card. Uh, we'd love to take prayer requests that way um, and just kind of get to know you a little bit. The other way to do it is um, on the city, which is these kiosks out here, just an email, phone number. Kind of gets you plugged in um, and figuring out what's what's going on with things. Um, this morning we're uh, we're going to talk about about greetings a little bit and welcoming. And a giant part of Western greeting is the handshake. And uh, and there's really you know there's really an art to this. Uh, if you think about it, there's there's just different situations you get in, particularly with guys. But even the guy-girl interaction with handshakes is is kind of interesting. Um, you know, some people with a handshake are real quick draw, so they just right away, they're shaking hands, um, and if it's a large group, sometimes it's a little awkward, because you, you can't, like, shake halfway across, you have to go all the way around. If the conversation's short, you might just talk for a couple minutes, uh, you know those people, they shake hands on the way out, too. So that's just, that's a ton of physical contact happening for a short investment of time. Uh, some of you are this person, some of you don't like this person, who comes in with the power uh, CEO handshake, you know, Travis, jump up here for one second. The power CEO handshake is this. You know, you see someone, and it's just awkwardly strong, right? And he's sitting there, and then he does this, too. He kind of sits there and holds your gaze, kind of stares you down. And, like, the person on the other end doesn't know this, that there's, like, this, you know, feats of strength thing going on. He's like, I'm just trying to shake hands, right? Here's the other one. Say here. Here's the other one that's a little weird is, um, and this can just happen by accident, um, but if you go to grab hands, and I just grabbed him. See how I grabbed that? This is the limp fish. Very, very awkward for two guys to grab with a limp fish. Because see what Travis is doing now is like a Victorian era greeting, which is really weird. So here's what happens. If you get caught in that situation, you just say, if you're Travis, you just say, throw me back. Okay, that's what you do. You say, throw me back because I'm a bat, I'm a limp fish. And that way we get out of it. Okay, give it up for Travis. Thank you, Travis. See, he was, try- he was trying to shake my hand on the way out. He's, he's a quick draw. I can, tell, I can tell the type right there. Now, we don't have this tradition at this church, but some traditions, you may have grown up in a church where the pastor stands at the back of the door and greets kind of everyone as they leave. And, you know, and um, I, I've never really been to a church like that, but in the movies, it's always like, you know, you nod and this person says, nice sermon pastor, even though they slept through most of it, whatever. And you just sit there and kind of do that. I think if we had that tradition, um, it would get really boring to just do the same thing every time. So I'd probably start mixing it up. You can actually throw this in. You can try this out this week just to see where it takes the conversation. Okay? I mean, here's, here's a couple that I thought of. You guys are creative. You could think of some other ones. But if, but if you go to shake hands with someone, you could throw in the opposite hander. You, you know, like if you're holding something, a baby or something, you know, there's a weird, like, opposite hander. But you could not be holding anything. You could just throw the opposite hander at someone and then kind of give a knowing glance to your right hand as to why you're not using it. But you never mention why you're not using it. Just see where that goes with the conversation, right? I mean, that, that, would be, that would be kind of an interesting one. Another one that would be cool to do is, like, as soon as you shake hands, you go into a, you know intense series of, of like, secret handshake moves that you're just making up on the fly, and they don't even know what you're doing. Uh, and then the best would be um, going, like, Old West style, right? You just go, put it there, partner. You know, like, and just see if, I mean, what if they shake your hand? Like, maybe all of a sudden you go to a new level in your friendship because you're like, Wow, they shook my hand after I spit in it. That's kind of, that's kind of interesting. All right. Um, all of that to introduce our new series. Our new series is called Reach Out and Welcome In. 
Uh, fall is kind of back to everything season, right? I mean, there's just all this back to everything, you know, back to school, uh, you know, back to kind of the routine and whatnot. And churches, I actually came to discover while I was uh, prepping for this, there is actually a back to church Sunday next Sunday. So there's this kind of like nationwide campaign where uh, flyers are going out and different churches are getting on board. Now, that's a very manufactured kind of a day, right? Back to Church Sunday. But it's the idea that churches are looking to say, man, we're expecting, um, you know, people to, uh, to, to come check out churches. It's a different season. So people kind of change gears in seasons, sometimes coming and checking out a church. Uh, one of the things that, that we're going to look at is this. We're going to start diving into uh, the instruction that the Bible has for us in terms of how to, to, to welcome one another. Now, all that stuff with, with handshakes, you can go your own route on that because the Bible is unclear on how to shake hands, right? So that you have total Christian liberty and freedom to shake hands however you want. But there are other things about welcome, about how we're to receive one another, about how we're to accept one another, about how we're to welcome one another uh, that are very scriptural. And I think maybe in the next several weeks, we'll actually be blown away at the sheer volume and intensity of instruction on this one area. Now, the month of September is kind of the month of welcome. I want you to be thinking that way for these next four weeks. It's not the month of welcome so that we can kind of check it off the list and say, okay, we had the month of welcome for the year. Rather, I want it to be the month of welcome so that it actually alters us for the priorities for the rest of the year. What a shame it would be, wouldn't it be, if we kind of like had this big push for welcome and back to church, but then went just back to our old ways for the rest of the year. Uh, it's, it's the month of welcome, um, not so that we can raise a, attendance. That's the last thing we're like, that's not the driving force of it. We need more people. So let's, let's be really intentional about welcoming people in. Rather, it's to raise our love temperature. It's to raise our worship. So we're going we're gonna to try and get below the surface of this. This would be a real easy, surfacey campaign, kind of, kind of a two-couple-of-weeks of kind of welcome, and that's not what we're talking about. Now, everyone gets welcomed all the time in different, in different ways and, and in different places. Last night, I went to someone's house for dinner uh, for the first time. I've never been to their house before, and with this message in mind, I was curious. I was like, all right, I'm going to see how they welcome me. Um, and to be honest, it was a great night. We had a fantastic time, super cool family. It was a really awkward welcome. Normally, if you come into someone's house, you know, you open the door, and even if you don't know them very well, hey, you're here, come on in, you know, uh, hey, put your stuff here, grab a seat, man, can I get you something, you want something to drink, how are you doing? There was none of that. I mean, zero of that. So if there's kind of this bridge coming, you know, connection's always two ways, right? So, so I had to reach, as the guest, I had to reach way out there to kind of make the connection and, and get on board, and it was fine, Right? Some people just do this really, really well. Think about where you're welcomed. You're welcomed at a restaurant, right? There's usually someone there who's there to kind of help you figure out what to do, where to go, whatever. Uh, businesses do this. Best Buy's there. They're welcoming you, but really they're watching for shoplifters too. That's what that person's there for. They're watching on the way out. You know, they kind of give a little hello. You don't expect much from that. Um, how about how about the people at the mall selling Verizon plans? Right? They're trying to welcome you, right? Normally you make a wide path, you know. Kids, don't make eye contact with a weird guy with a, with a helicopter. It's like, just don't even engage him because he'll, he'll try to get you to buy something, right? So, so there's welcoming going on all over the place all the time. Here's my question for you, and I, I want you to, this isn't just like a little opening pastor question that you're supposed to blip by. You're supposed to really think about this, okay? 
I want you to think about the last time you were really welcomed in well. I mean, where you felt unusually received by another person. What were the words that were said? What was the body language that went on? What were the circumstances? What was your mood like? Like, what was going on with you personally that allowed this deep connection where you just, you just sat back? I don't know if you're like me, but if I get really, really good customer service, I'm blown away by it. I actually take notice of great customer service because it's getting more rare. But think about the last time you were exceptionally welcomed in. Now, I want you to think about the last time that you were really poorly received. That you were just poorly welcomed. That you were, uh, instead of accepted, what's the opposite word? Rejected. That for some reason in this mode, there was a, there was a sense of shame. There was a sense of, of blockade right away. Uh, that you weren't warmly received. What were the words going on? What was going on with you? What uh, you know, what were the circumstances? What was the body language and the posture that was going on? Here's what I want to do today. I want to point you to the Bible with this. I think it's really easy to have a welcome campaign for an entire month and not be scriptural about it. Just, just kind of be, you know, just kind of be surfacey with it. I want, to, I want to get to scripture. What I want to show you is what we're talking about is commanded in scripture and provided for in scripture, the way we go about it. So I want to point you to the Bible, I want to explain it for a couple of minutes, and then I want to lay out some hurdles to applying this that I think you'll find common to a lot of people, and then I want to talk about some actual application. Okay, so that's where we're going. Romans chapter 15, starting in verse 1, <laughs> it says this. This is Paul writing a letter to the Roman church, Christians who were in Rome. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Verse 5, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in, in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me pause at verse 6 for a moment. So the big idea to the Roman church starting in about chapter 12 all the way through chapter 16 is this big idea. It's it's to get along. And he lays out in those chapters, he lays out all kinds of ways for that to happen. He's giving you guide rails on the road to what it looks like to live in Christian community. Here's what it is to accept one another. Look at verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the feelings of the weak. Here's what's curious. I think a lot of people read this as the strong, maybe. And a lot of people think they're in the strong camp, and really they're in the weak camp. The weak must be there because they're referenced specifically. And if you, if you wonder what's talking about, it's not talking about, like, don't go out and start pumping iron with your hands so you could get that strong CEO handshake. Not what we're talking about, right? We're talking about spiritually strong and spiritually weak. 
And even that, our brain goes to different places. Here's what it talks about. All of chapter 14, if you want to do your homework on this and really get your head around who the strong and the weak are, go read chapter 14. What it's actually talking about is this. There are some liberal Christians and conservative Christians, just like today. And when I say liberal and conservative, I'm not talking about things that the Bible has spoken very, very clearly about. But in all those gray matters where there's a ton of Christian liberty and freedom, there are some people who are the weak in faith who have a lot of checklists and a lot of struggles with a lot of things. Those we would call the more conservative. They really have problems with things. Jewish people, for instance, really struggle with what you eat and with what you drink. There was generations of teaching on what you should and shouldn't eat. Remember Peter having this vision at one point where he sees all this unclean food? And what does the voice tell him to do, remember? Eat it! What's Peter's response? Never. Never! This stuff's never touched my lips. What's he doing? He's clinging to the law, right? And God is teaching him. God's saying, look, a new explosive era has come. You get to go. This is all good. Take it and eat. And that was actually to prepare the way to say, guess what? Gentiles are going to be praising my name. Gentiles are in. So that was God kind of paving the way and exploding it. So the weak and the strong, just, again, go read chapter 14. It will kind of clue you in. But the weak and the strong are those who really wrestle with all these kind of list rules and regulations that aren't scriptural. They're opinions. They're, they're superfluous kinds of things. They're not core to what it means to be a Christian. And so Paul, uh, Paul here is writing to the Romans, saying to them um, that they are to, to bear with the failings of the weak. Now, think about this. The high and holy call of our day is tolerance. Tolerance, 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 tolerance. It's almost like, as human beings, the highest demand we could make of people is to tolerate them. Wives, how many of you want to be tolerated by your husbands? Let me see you raise your hand. Here's the thing. Maybe you'd say that's a good starting point, right? I mean, if things are really rough, genuinely, that would be a good starting point. But does anyone stand at the altar next Friday, next Saturday? I'm doing a wedding. I promise you, they don't stand there and go, I vow to tolerate you the rest of my life. You know, the wife's like tearing up. Oh, it's beautiful. No! No one wants to be merely tolerated. That's not what God, that's not what God came to do in our relationships. But honestly, the highest demand I feel like right now that we're able to to demand of each other is to say, look, tolerate each other. What even just this passage, we're going to get into, we're going to just get into a ton more. But what this passage is talking about is what God calls us to. We move way beyond tolerance to sympathy and service. Bear with your neighbor. Be patient with their failings. Do things for them. The obligation, Strong, is on you to do that for others. Here's a, here's a word picture, grabbing all these words from this passage and just kind of checking them up on a slide. I want you just to notice all of the unity being discussed in chapters 1 or verses 1 to 6. Words like harmony and with and accord and together and one. Now look at your Bibles and read verse 7. 
This is our verse for the entire month of September. This is it. If you want to memorize a verse, I've made it easy for you. It's a short verse, but it's so pivotal. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. The only background I'm going to give to the therefore is what we just did, 1 through 6. But really, it's more than 1 through 6. You've got to go back to 14.1 and beyond that to kind of get the full context. But here comes the command. Therefore, because of all this is established, now welcome one another as Christ welcomed you to the glory of God. Um, 14.1. Look at there for one second. Here, Paul is saying, he's calling out to the strong and talking just to them. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. You who are strong in faith and have all kinds of Christian liberty, don't welcome in someone who really struggles with all those things just so that you can show them from the scriptures and argue and quarrel over opinions. Who's the burden on? It's exclusively on those who are strong in the faith to welcome the weak in the faith. Then you go over to 15, 1 and 2. Again, he's, Paul is saying, strong, you have an obligation. The burden is on you. If there's two you know, bridges that have to connect to kind of make this welcoming connection, yours ought to be longer. Plan on reaching further. Plan on stretching farther to go and reach out to them. Now in verse 7, here's what he's doing. He's talking to the whole church those who are strong in the faith, those who are the weak in the faith. Now, all of you, welcome together. So do you see that two times he's already pinged the strong in the faith? Obligations on you, burdens on you. But now in verse 7, it's everyone, strong and weak, all of you, welcome one another. That's the command that's given to us. All right, so here's what I want to do. I want to just break this down. We'll, uh, if, you're, if you're taking notes, you could just write, write out these three things. Number one is, is welcome one another. That's the command that's being given to us. All right. Some of you haven't learned your Greek, Greek word for the month. We're going to teach you a Greek word this morning. It's just fun to say, so we're going to try it together. And it's this, okay? It's the word proslambano. You've got to kind of like, uh, okay? Here we go. On, on the count of three. One, two, three. Proslambano. Okay? You've got to just kind of eat. Throw that in. Okay? That's how, that's how it's said. So that's your Greek word for the month. And here's what it means. This is, this is that word welcome that I was just reading to you. It's often translated accept or welcome. The full scope of it is to receive, to take hold of, to bring along, to lead aside, to gather together, to grant someone access to your heart. So almost every translation in here, I'd venture to guess, has the word in there, accept one another as Christ has accepted you or welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. I'll tell you who I think actually gets to the heart of this word in kind of its full scope is the message. Listen to how the message translates this. Catch this. So reach out and welcome one another to God's glory. Jesus did it. Now you do it. That captures the, the reach out component and welcome part of it. Here's what I know. Some of you by nature in here are receivers. You're able to receive people really, really well. Some of you are reachers by nature. You're able to go out and reach people and gather people in really, really well. 
The command here is that all people are commanded to do both. Here's what that means. If you're an extrovert, commando, bold as a lion, reacher, you're a person who just goes out and you make connections, you reach people. Do you know that you're commanded as well to also really deeply receive people? It's not your job just to go out and grab people and say, look, other people can care for them and nurture them, and I can open my life up to, to no one. I'll just be the, the reacher. I'll just go out and reach people. Some of you, conversely, are receivers. So your heartbeat, your tendency, your bent would be to stand. Let's say that church were the only place this happens. It's not, so please don't go there. But let's say that were the only place it happens. You would stand right on the threshold of church. And here's what you'd do. You'd wait, Right? Now, the second someone wants to come and walk into the church, man, you're a receiver. You're a nurturer. You're a caretaker. You, you receive them really well. But to do this right here and go and reach someone would be just way outside of you. So you tend to just, you tend to just stand and wait. Now, there's a certain sense where the body of Christ comes together and where one person is weak at reaching out, another is strong and beautiful. To the glory of God, that works together. Some who are reachers... They, they just are not that intelligent with receiving, and they're not great at that. And so, praise God, there's people who, who counteract that, who fit in those weaknesses. But the command here, I want you to hear this. I don't care if you're an introvert, an extrovert, a great at relationships, terrible at relationships, uh, able to go out and, and draw people in or not. The command is for everyone, the whole church, to do both of these things. Now, some commands, I don't know if you think this, but some commands, I think, in the Bible are super strange. This is one of them. I mean, think about what's being commanded. Christians, church, you're supposed to be welcoming. I mean, that's a little bit like telling someone, uh, I command you to breathe. I mean, as Christians, aren't we just supposed to be welcoming? I mean, of course. Duh! But I think part of why, you know, maybe it's commanded, and we're going to see this isn't the only place. Maybe it's commanded because this doesn't just come naturally. I mean, if it were fall off the log easy, you just do it reflectively. This is what you naturally normally do. The moment you become a Christian, you're the most welcoming person in the world. It wouldn't be commanded, but it is commanded. Therefore, we look at that and say, wow, if that was explicitly commanded, A, it must be really important to God. B, we must need to be told, no, 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 do this. This is not optional to be like this. I'm not going to have you raise your hands. But I don't need to ask this. You have been to unwelcoming churches before. You've been to cold churches before. I'll tell you what, our church in general is very welcoming. I get that from a lot of people. But this place is a cold place sometimes. If you're, if you're a person that walks in, there's a sense where, man, everyone seems connected, and on any given Sunday, someone could walk in, have a short experience here, walk out, and feel like, man, this is a super cold place. Not very welcoming at all. I talked to, I just reconnected with a, with a buddy of mine and a local church. Not that big of a church. This guy and his family attended for one year. He said no one said hi to him or his family. I found that really hard to believe, first of all. But he said it was true. And then here's the second thing. I actually put it on him, because he's a strong Christian brother. I said, dude, it's a two-way street. You know, so he, he owned that. He, he said, you know, that didn't mean they didn't make connections. But he, he just, actually it did. He didn't make connections for a year. In a relative, you know, a church maybe twice our size. Something's wrong with that. And maybe that's why it's being commanded. Be welcoming to one another. As we look to Jesus and his example in Scripture, and as we continue to experience the welcome that Jesus gives to us, 
that moves us forward in what we're supposed to be doing. Here's the starting place that, that Paul starts with. He starts with the church. We're going to look right now, uh, this morning, we're starting just with those inside the church. Not inside the church building, but those who are part of the family of God already. That's where Paul starts. Think about it this. If, if we're not really accepting one another, if we're not really welcoming one another as the family of God, why would we want to invite other people into that dysfunction? Do you see the burden is on us to be living out what it means to be Christian spiritual family with one another? So he starts with the church. We're starting with the church. We're not rushing right to, hey, everyone run out and invite your friends. We want to start with saying, man, where are we at? How are we doing at this? All right, number two. Welcome one another. Number two is welcome like Jesus. The basis for the command is this. Christ welcomed you. Christ accepted you. So as Christ welcomed you, you welcome one another. As Christ received you, you receive one another. It's inconsistent not to welcome someone that Christ has welcomed. Here's what's interesting. Christians throughout the ages have been known, uh, those who are strong, those who are weak, those who think they are strong but are really weak, those who think they are weak but are really strong, all of them infighting with each other and not receiving those for whom Christ has already received. I mean, if you were to sit down two uh, at-odds brothers and you sat down and said, what really saves you? What makes you a child of God? Their theology would be spot on. Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing I do or can do can change that. I don't add to that. It's all and completely, all of my righteousness is on Christ alone. You could have two people that are warring with each other that agree to that. But then in terms of putting that theology into practice, they turn and don't accept and welcome and receive one another. It's inconsistent. Christ has already received that brother in. He's in. He's in the family. Dad made the decision. Doesn't mean you can't have disagreements. We're going to actually look at that in the coming weeks. How do you have disagreements? Um, Well, they're going to be there. They're supposed to be there, actually. Some of them are just sinful and shouldn't be. But it's inconsistent not to receive that which Christ already has received. So, this morning is really about welcoming the welcomed. It's already, it's, it's, it's just welcoming those who already have been welcomed by Jesus. You don't have better judgment than Jesus, so if they're in, in the family, welcome them. That's, that's all this verse is talking about. To keep it really clear, you could take this passage and build a whole welcome campaign about it, but it's not talking about that. It's actually talking about welcoming one another within the church, not to add new people to it yet. So welcome the welcomed, accept what God accepts. You know what this forces you to do? This forces you individually to get super clear on what the gospel is. What are those issues that I grew up with? You know, length of hair, color of hair, style of hair, how you're supposed to dress, what your taste in music or drink or food or entertainment or vacation or whatever is. And it forces you to say, God, what's really kind of an A doctrine that I will not budge on because you haven't budged on it. You made it crystal clear. And all the rest is opinion. And again, there's great room for dialogue and discussion back and forth, but it's not salvation type issues. I'll tell you the trap is that a lot of times we'll get trapped into looking at someone. I'm looking at Tim Nichols right now. I see you, Tim. Tim's like, huh? He was awake, don't worry. But I might look at Tim and be like, man, blonde-headed guys who wear red shirts and play water polo. 
Unbelievable. Who let that guy in our church? Now, that's a pretty benign example, right? But we do it all the time. All the time. I was at a church with a lot of older people, godly saints. And on the one hand, they prayed for me every single week as I ministered to youth, reached out to youth, this and that and the other thing. And then a couple of them periodically, as we're in the sanctuary, the sanctuary, how dare that youth wear a hat in the sanctuary? How dare that teen have blue hair in the sanctuary? This is God's house. And lovingly, hopefully, humbly, hopefully, I would pastor that older saint who's been a Christian a lot longer than I have, has probably made sacrifices far greater than I have, and I'd say, brother, sister, aren't you thrilled that God accepted this blue-haired person? Besides, your hair's turning blue too. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I wanted to say it, but I didn't. I've had that conversation a lot, actually. And you know what? A lot of them really humbly received that and said, you know what? That's, that's right. I'm, I'm basing this off of something that I was trained with that's really, really valuable. It's not that valuable to God. So it forces us to get really, really clear on what is opinion of God's that stands and what's the opinion of man that's, that, that, can, that can fluctuate and, and go side to side on it. All right. How does Christ welcome us? We're going to really, in the coming weeks, we'll look at this some more. As a community group, I hope that you're going to dive into this and and, and talk about this. Uh, But let me just just point out two things about how Christ welcomes us. He welcomes us. the, the, The Bible says that Jesus was full of truth and full of grace. The only person who ever, whoever was complete in both of those. Most people I've met, and I know myself, tend to err on one side or the other, or we're kind of constantly battling that, right? You come across situations, you go, God, I want to be full of truth and grace in this situation. I'm clueless as to how to make it happen. Jesus welcomed truthfully, and when Jesus welcomes you truthfully, here's what happens. It actually makes you feel unworthy and causes you to want to run from him. When the truth confronts you, it hits you with your sin, your own failing, your own unworthiness, and it makes you want to recoil back into the dark. Praise God that he welcomes us full of grace. So he welcomes us truthfully, but he also welcomes us gracefully. And by him welcoming us gracefully, it lets us know that we are accepted. Here's your sin. Wait, don't run. I took that all. I took all of that. We just sang this. I bore the weight of that. I bore the punishment of that. You're now accepted by free gift. That makes you want to run to Jesus. When you get that, that makes you just run to Jesus. In him, we see that every word, every act was for others. It was the ultimate strong, right, Jesus, building up the weak. No one had more faith than Jesus. And he modeled for us what it looks like to have the obligation on the strong. Every act, every word, Everything he did was for other people. So you want to get a picture? What does that look like? Read the Gospels. Just stay in the Gospels. Keep reading how Jesus interacted with people, and we'll start to get it. He's not flaunting powerful faith, but instead he's getting low and supporting others to build them up in their faith. 
It's really powerful to see. Sometimes he speaks very, very strongly to people. Those who are proud, he tends to throw law at them. He tends to show them how they don't get it yet. They don't measure up, but they don't see it. He's very strong with those people. To those who are broken and feel the full weight of the law, and they know their sins ever before them, man, he's so gentle, and he gets low, and he lifts them up. He begins to preach grace to a heart that's ready to receive it. All right, I want you to, um, I want you to do something right now. I want you to just take a big breath, hold it for five seconds, and just let it out. I feel good. Here's why I just had you sigh. That's the sigh of relief. Okay? Here's why I just had you do the sigh of relief. The sigh of relief is that this month, I'm not going to pester you, manipulate, guilt, cajole you into like mustering up more welcoming spirit. Into working on your smile so you're really welcoming. That makes everyone uncomfortable. Not going to have you brush up on your quick draw, right? On your quick draw handshake, and you're like, now I'm done for the morning. I'm welcoming. I'm not going to do any of that. I'm not even going to go deeper and, and try, to, try to muster up and have you work up a really forgiving, merciful spirit, a loving spirit, an accepting spirit. You know what we get to do? We, and right now I'm talking specifically to those who place their faith in Christ and are a part of his family by faith, we get to draw on what we've already received. Christians are able to forgive in a way that makes no sense to the fleshly mind because of what they've been forgiven. They've experienced it. They walk in that every day. And so it comes flowing out of their lives. I don't know if you catch this, but a lot of the songs this morning are not about loving other people. They're actually about loving God and God loving us. I want that message that God loves you. God accepts you. You have been welcomed into the family. It's done. I don't care what kind of week you've had. I don't even know. God does know. And you're still welcomed. Man, that ought to rock your world. That's what we get to walk in. It's, it's a reminder of what you already know. I came here this morning to hear that God loves me. Could have done that in five minutes. But to really tap into that changes how we talk to others, help others. Jesus summed up the whole law and the prophets by saying this. If you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then the second command is like it, what is it? Love your neighbor as yourself. Pretty important stuff. All the revelation up to this point, all that's been written, all that the prophets have spoken, I can, I can nail it in two commands. Love God and love other people. How important is reaching out and welcoming in and getting clear on what this is all about to us as a Christian? It's massive. I thought maybe for the month of December we should change our church name to Neighbor Pleasing Bible Church. I mean, literally, that's... That's kind of a litmus test for any church. Are you pleasing your neighbors? Not evil people-pleasing kind of stuff. Where, where you weigh and you count the opinion of others as more important than God. That's evil. That's going to lead you to a lifetime of jail on the opinions of others that don't really matter anyways. I'm talking about really living to please your neighbor. That means you've got to walk in, in truth and grace. 
That means you need to look at Jesus and see, man, how did he interact with his neighbors? He went to weddings. He went to places. He had a job. How did he interact with these people? Neighbor-pleasing Bible church. Might be, might be a good name change for us. Jesus does this for us, and so we keep on coming to Jesus. People keep on coming to Jesus because he's like this. I've seen this through the years, but there are some people who come to Jesus and they've minimized their sin. They don't really get the full impact of their sin. So it's a very orderly transaction. They come, they politely, respectfully receive the gift of eternal life and kind of wipe their hands and off they go. I've seen other people who really get after sin. I mean, they are sinners. They've sinned a lot. They've sinned so much that there's, there's no prescription, there's no escape, there's no drowning, there's no therapy that can wipe away the memories of what they've done and the stuff that they've been involved in. And then they receive the message that Jesus accepts even them. You know what this is? This is a spectacle. When people come to Jesus and they're that kind of person and they get their sin... I mean, they know what they've done and they're faced with it and they get acceptance and they get forgiveness and they get the gift of eternal life. I mean, there's mucus. There's wailing. It's a spectacle. It's very uncouth, right? The one goes away, and Jesus said it this way, he loves little because he's been forgiven little. The other one goes away and loves much because they've been forgiven much. Truth is, we've all been forgiven much. It's just a matter of perspective. It's a matter of how clearly we see things. All right. Lastly, welcome to worship. Welcome for the purpose of worship. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. The result of Christ accepting us is what? It's praise. We sing about this all the time in this church. We always want to be singing about the cross because the acceptance of Jesus, how did he turn rebels, insurgents, into beloved sons, into beloved daughters? And it's just praiseworthy, so we praise. The acceptance of us to one another results in exactly the same thing. It results in praise to the Father. Wow, there must be a good Father that his children receive one another in this way. That's what Christian community ought to say to those who aren't in the family. They ought to look at us and say, wow, I want in on that. There's something totally different about that kind of community. John 13, 34 says this. Let me give you a new command. Love one another. In the same way I loved you, you love one another. There's the example part. That's how we do it. This is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples, when they see the love you have for each other. Do you hear the praise in that? Other people will witness that, and they'll give glory to God. They'll say they must be those people who follow Jesus because they're displaying the same kinds of characteristics that he had. There's a purpose in our welcoming. It's not to fill our seats. There's a purpose in our welcoming. It's not so you can check off Christian bucket list. Look, I invited like six people this year. Leave me alone. It's to the glory of God. It's kind of interesting what the phrase, she's so godly, or he's so on fire for the kingdom, has come to mean in evangelical circles. If you don't know, let me fill you in. Okay? If you ever hear someone say, wow, she's so godly. That guy's so on fire for the kingdom. Here's what, 
Here's what it probably means. It might mean she has a vast knowledge of theology. It might mean that he is super bold in his witnessing. It might mean that she is super faithful in prayer. It might mean that he is so holy. She is so generous. He has such a huge ministry. That's what we're talking about when we throw those terms out. It's almost like we've come to measure Christian maturity in these kinds of ways. But how many use this as a measuring stick of Christian maturity? Depth and quality of relationship. I mean, according to many passages in the scripture, that ought to be a measuring stick we talk about often. Wow, that person has such depth and quality of relationship with people, they are so close to God. Rather than size of ministry. Rather than how much they give, how much they know, how much they pray. 1 John. If you want to test me on this, go read the book of 1 John tonight in one sitting. And then you just see how much does love for other people relate to a visible, tangible measuring stick of our love for God? I'll give you the cliff notes. If you say that you have love for God, but you don't love your brother, you're a liar, it says. I mean, it's black and white. It's not true. So go and check that out. All right, here's a couple of hurdles I want to talk about. There's an obvious one, and it's sin, okay? Both by the way that we're born and the way that we choose, we're sinners. By nature and by choice, we're sinners. So because of that, sins keep us from one another. I'll tell you the man-made uh, walls that are up with, with people in, in our world. Racism. That's sin blockading people. You're different from me. You have a different culture than me. You speak a different language. You have different upbringing. Therefore, you're different. Therefore, I'm better. You're worse. Therefore, we'll never get along. That's racism. Denominationalism. That's where one denomination defines themselves by all the things that they're not. Churches are great at this. What kind of church are you? Well, we're not like them across town. We're certainly not like them. And we'd never be like them. That's a weird way to answer, isn't it? That's denominationalism. Where we can't partner, we can't get along. You know what that is? That's getting too far off on some of the side tangents and beginning to kind of view ourselves with those rather than building on some of the core truths of the faith. Man, there's all kinds of things. Zip code. You don't live in the right zip code. Dress code. I mean, sin just keep us divided, right? Jesus came to shatter those kind of man-made sinful barriers that exist between people. Uh, you're the boss. I'm the employee. We can't have that kind of relationship. We can't really be friends. Instead of just seeing one another as people. Do you know that the sacrifice of, of, of Christ on the cross not only atones for our sin, but it actually breaks the power, catch this, and the effects of sin on our lives? That means part of why we come back to the cross and we keep thinking on the cross is not just for that moment of salvation where, where we get to enter into the kingdom. That's just part one. That's just step one. But the effects of sin are broken down. All of a sudden, you're able to look at other people as just people. Remember the deck of cards I had? That one series? And if you look on one side of a deck of cards, what you see is you see a king of hearts, you see a two of spades, you see all these titles and stuff. That's sin. That's the way the world views it. If you take it and you flip it over the back, what do you see? Right, just the same picture. Just that red squiggly lines, whatever, right? What if we could just look at each other primarily as a card? You're a person. And then you find out later, wow, you know, you own this company and you're a mega billionaire? Cool. You know, that's awesome. 
take me sailing on your boat, but I mean, who cares? Like, that's, that's not how I see you. Man, that's just a temporary title. Wow, the ace of spades. That's pretty cool. All right, so that's sin. Um, I'll tell you what happens in church sometimes, really quick. Sometimes you get that, you're like, great, that's really helpful, Dave. Sin is what keeps us from relating to each other. That's, that's really general, right? Here's what I want to do. I've been praying for a couple of weeks now. I say, God, there's a lot of hurdles I could go. I, I could do a whole seminar. I could travel the country, actually, making lots of money, probably, doing seminars on hurdles to relationships. Think about it. Conferences, books, podcasts. I mean, there's tons of discussion on getting these things back together, right? I really pray. I say, God, I just want to give what's helpful to our church. Let me give you a, a couple of kind of categories. And again, you can kind of talk about these more in community. All right, so there's sin. Here's number two is that there's just relational sloppiness. Relational sloppiness is this. Ready? It's, I already know what to do. I'm just not doing it. Education's not the problem. You don't need five more tips on what to do. You already know what to do. It's football season. Football starts for real today. Actually, it started Thursday, I think. How many are excited about that? Raise your hand. Loud and proud. Good. I'm thrilled about it, okay? My team's going to have a rough year probably, but that's okay. Um, in relationships, there's some basic fundamentals that if you're sloppy in, you'll lose. You'll lose. If your football team today is sloppy with possessing the football and fumbles a lot, you'll lose a game. You can't overcome turnovers, turnovers, turnovers. You just can't do it. If your football team, like my football team a couple years ago, could not get the snap count right and jumped off sides every other play, you know what they did on the field? Beep, beep, beep. And they should have just played that sound in the, in the stadium. They just marched backwards. What the coach is going to do to a team like that, he's going to preach fundamentals. He's going to say, guys, we have to do these basics right, or anything else doesn't even matter. Relational sloppiness is not doing the fundamentals well. You know what happens? We begin to take each other for granted. I actually had a really cool conversation with Travis around the campfire last week at the camp out. All we did was we just started talking about, man, how long has it been since we've been together playing music, living life together, just watching each other's kids grow? And we just started to recount, how did that even begin? Where have we been with all that? It's easy for Travis and I to take each other for granted. We see each other all the time. He's sick of me, and God knows I'm sick of him. No, I'm just kidding. So what happens is we, we take each other for granted, right? And so we stop doing the little things. Spouses can attest to this. Parents and their kids can attest to this. Friendships, workmates, you can attest to this. It's just relational sloppiness that's going on. started thinking about why don't you ask how someone is. Sometimes it's because we're afraid they might actually answer. So you stay with, hey, how's it going? How's it going is fine, right? Or eh, or whatever. It's kind of the high five conversation done. But we know when it's being asked in a different way to really ask it. When someone really answers, we realize that this would then involve time. It would involve effort. It would involve some kind of a response that I may not know what that is. In a word, it's investment. I have to invest now. Here's the sad truth. Sometimes we just don't want the hassle. Honestly. 
We don't want to be inconvenienced to ask even those we love closest and find dearest to us how they're really doing. Part of relational sloppiness is going in with the best of intentions, asking that question, having every intent to really engage and mid-conversation begin wondering, you know, that vibrating text, you know, in your pocket. Who, who's that from? This person's not communicating their stuff quick enough in bullet points. What am I doing for lunch anyways? And right in the middle of, of a conversation where we have the best of intentions to come invest in that person, we just kind of stay on the shallow level of things. Sometimes we're just sloppy not to really give the time needed to know other people. Maybe you're running at a pace of life that is killing your relationships. Somewhere down the road, you'll find your relationships shriveled up and dry, and you'll be at your fast pace, you'll be getting done the things you want to get done, and it will feel really hollow. Here's, here's my challenge to those of us in that situation. Right when you're midstream and you find yourself wandering, repent and start walking the, the, the way of truth again. Say, that's sloppy. Tighten that up. Call a foul on yourself. I jumped off sides. I'm fumbling the ball right now. Man, got to work on that. All right, here's relational clumsiness. Relational, relational clumsiness is the unexplained weakness at the most inopportune times. Okay? We have some people with the dropsies in our house. There's nine people in our house, so you're bound to get someone who's got the dropsies on any given day or moment. It's unexplained weakness at a really inopportune time. Okay? It's, it's better to drop a plate with nothing on it than a plate that has the entire meal for everyone sitting there waiting to eat, and then it drops. Right? Two different, two different times. Best not to drop the plate at all. Was it an accident? Of course it was an accident. Do accidents still hurt? Yes. So relational clumsiness is just, is just getting things and dropping them. It's not caring for individuals as the precious treasure they are. I hope you're wearing a name tag today. Um, Yukon is here. And Yukon, the dog, has a name tag. Okay? We are doing something in the month of September. Every week, the month of September, I want everyone to wear a name tag. Here's why. I hope that what you do with the name tag is you intend to use that person's name. You know what happens with relational clumsiness is this. And this is, this is a weird little logistical barrier that keeps us from letting each other. I might have met Ron four weeks ago. We had a really good conversation. We, we connected. I even told Ron I'd pray for him. Now I see him at church. I can't remember his name is Ron. I know it's something. It may be around the R letter, but I can't come up with Ron. And so instead of intentionally walking over, instead of intentionally meeting the gaze, instead of intentionally quick drawing my handshake, instead what I do is I just kind of avoid while I'm thinking about, I really should know that and it feels weird that I don't, so I'm not going to engage in a conversation. That's a weird little thing that goes on that actually, where is it? Here it is. That actually is solved by right here. Because then you go, Ron, hey! And right away you, you know the name. It's a little bit of a cheat sheet. That's okay. You're not putting your name tag on for yourself. You're helping other people, right? You're, if that's a barrier, why should that be a barrier? So for four weeks, at least, just put a name tag on. It doesn't go with your outfit. That's cool. We all have the same thing going on. So it's just there for that place. Relational clumsiness is being trusted and let in only to kind of be a bull in the china shop when you know you shouldn't be that bull in the china shop. It's being handed this deep need, this deep hurt, this deep thing of, here, here's how my week's really going, and then you just kind of drop it with a cliche. 
You ever not know how to respond? You're like, wow, I don't even know what to do with that. So you just kind of blurt out something, and it communicates to that other person, I'm not being received right now. I, I didn't really get heard. Or they go, wow, that must be tough. Hey, uh, so anyways, and then you go on to something really trivial. That's clumsy. That's clumsy. I mean, this is the person. In conversation, they're going, can you hold this? And here's your response. Sure, yeah, I'm going to take that. Toss it in the back of the truck. That's clumsy. All right. By the way, after an accident, here's what I heard all the time going on. I always heard this. I dropped something, I did something as a kid, and then mom or dad or someone would say, it's okay, just be more careful next time. Or I heard this a lot. Just slow down. Man, I thought, relational clumsiness, that's great relational advice. Be more careful next time. Get their name right. Slow down. Man, both of those are, are good. All right, finally is relational ignorance. Relational ignorance is this. Sometimes you just have no idea what is happening. At all. You don't know what just happened. You don't know what's going on right now in the conversation. Here's the deal. You're ignorant in that situation. You're relationally ignorant in that situation. We shouldn't beat each other up for being ignorant of something. But we also shouldn't just claim ignorance and say, eh, I don't know how to relate to things. It actually starts with your own heart. If you don't understand the matters of your own heart, if you don't have some self-awareness, why am I feeling right now like I want this conversation to turn toward my need? Why can I not just sit and listen to someone else's need? Why do I ask how are you doing in hopes that they'll ask how I'm doing? If you can't access some of those things, if you can't access how insecure, how your insecurities play into your relationships, how your fears play into your relationships, how your pride plays in relationships, then your relationship growth will be stunted. There'll be kind of the ceiling on it going on. There's much to learn from that. Please spend a bulk of your time reading the scriptures on that. There's a lot of great books that that teach from the scriptures on that. But there's a lot of junk out there that's just kind of the, the ebb and flow of where humanity is right now in terms of the advice that you might get. Some people don't understand the differences in people, much less appreciate the differences in other types of personalities. And so there's just a blockade there. There's an ignorance there. Get around people who understand that stuff. Watch how they receive you. Learn from them. Let me invite the band up right now. This next song we're going to sing um, goes back to motive. That God loves us. That's where this flows out of. If you have problems remembering or thinking about, man, how should I receive people? Is this relational ignorance, clumsiness, or sloppiness? Think back. Here's how simple it is. Think back to when you were really welcomed well. Say, do, and mimic those kinds of things. That's what speaks to you. Learn from that. Those things that didn't draw you in, that rejected you, that don't do those. I mean, that's a great starting point, just from your own experience. Here's your homework this week. One is to reach out. Who needs an invite? Risk a no by simply asking. Something like 80% of people who attend a church did so because of a personal invite from someone. So reach out. Invite someone in to what's happening. 
Number two is to welcome in, accept. Our worship is measured more by our unity and love for one another than the other things we talk about with worship. Volume, style, length, all that kind of stuff. Every single week in community groups, there's opportunity for the strong and the weak to get together. There's opportunity for the strong and the faith to build up the, the weak in the faith. And there's opportunity for the weak in the faith to accept that and be loving toward one another. The women's group that was announced is just a starting point. In a couple of weeks, we're having a giant CG launch, community groups launch, where we kind of expect, we kind of have this on-ramp to say, here's how to get plugged into community. I hope on September 22nd, your heart is prepared to say, I'm ready to take the risk and for the next eight weeks commit to a community group and start walking in some of that. Two quick connecting points. CG leaders today after church are going to be meeting in prayer for that coming launch event because it's a spiritual work that we're engaged in. That's happening right after church today. On the 22nd, that same day, there's an all-hands children's meeting doing the same sorts of things. We want to welcome in children in the same way that Christ welcomed in. Now, the children's ministry has it smart. It's proven that adding ice cream builds connection quicker. There's something about the chemical release with the sugar. I don't know, but they've got it right. So it's an ice cream social slash all-hands meeting on the 22nd. Finally, is just to connect. Connect means this. The focus here is to welcome those who are already welcomed. So invite people to join in with what you're already doing. Isn't it hard to carve out extra time? Most of us don't have extra time. Sometimes people want to meet with me. I say, yeah, you can meet with me. I'll spend time with you. I'll, I'll mentor you a little bit, but you're going to do it while we help you know, my kid with his homework, while we go do this errand. And let's carve out time sometimes, but just welcome people into what you're already doing. That's a way to, to join together. Let me pray, and then we will continue in worship with song. God, I just thank you for this morning. I pray, Father, you would grow us in this area. We thank you, God. We pray that you'd help us to revel in what it is to be welcomed in and loved by you. Jesus' name.